Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church. Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in a sermon called Spiritual Health. Check your vitals. What are the vitals for a healthy Christian life, and how do you check them? If the Bible teaches us to examine ourselves to see if we are of the faith, then how do we do that? We're going to answer that today with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's teaching. I hope that you are connecting with Awaken to Grace. No matter what platform you listen to these sermons on, I hope that you connect with us in a more personal way by downloading our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, or by sending me an email. I would love to hear from you. It brings me so much joy when I hear from those who uh, follow along and listen to the teaching of God's Word with us. You can always email me at pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you this week. Well, let's get to God's Word, and I hope you study along with us as we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 on this broadcast of Awaken to Grace. How many of you, like me, hate going to see a doctor? So many people, now I know there are many hypochondriacs in the building. How many of you are a hypochondriac? How many are married to a hypochondriac? That's probably more accurate, right? Uh, Some people go to the doctor every time they turn around. Other people, like me, despise going to the doctor. How many of you are like me? You don't like it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I do not enjoy going to the doctor. And a few weeks ago, I picked up what I felt like was an ear infection. My ear was aching, a bit of an ear infection. My wife, Sadie, is the most uncompassionate person when it comes to those things that you'll ever meet. She gives me 24 hours to get over it, to quit whining about it. And I told her, I said, honey, I really think my ear, I think something's going on. I said, I may, I hate to go to the doctor, but I might have to. And she, oh, Chad, quit whining, quit being a baby, get over it. And, uh, and I did. I went to the doctor, and sure enough, he said it was the worst ear infection he had ever seen. That's not true. He didn't say that. <laughs> but I did have an ear infection, and he had to give me some antibiotics, right? And tomorrow's my last day of taking the antibiotics. But I hate going to the doctor. I hate checkups. I just don't like going. But when you go to the doctor, what do they do? What's the first thing your doctor's office does when you go to the doctor? They check your vitals. (laughs) They they check your vitals. (laughs) 
And they're going to see what your temperature is. They're going to see what your blood pressure is. They're going to see what your oxygen level is. And they're going to check those vitals. Now, you may be there for something as I was there for, you know, a small earache, an ear infection, whatever. But as long as my vitals are good... They may give me a little extra. They may give me an antibiotic or something like that. But if I went, even if it was as small as an ear infection and my vitals were out of whack, they were all over the place, then what are they going to do? They're going to say, forget the ear infection. Something's going wrong. It's a sign. It's an indicator of how healthy of a person you are. Well, so it is spiritually. There are certain vital signs that tell us how we're doing spiritually. And today I want to go over those. Today I want to do exactly what 2 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us to do. It says, let us examine ourselves to see if we are of the faith. So today... I want us to examine our own lives. I want us to examine our souls. I want us to examine our faith and see, are we genuine? Are we the real deal? Are we truly born again? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians. They lived in a city called Thessalonica. Isn't that a great name of a city? How would you like to have to spell that every time you turned around? Thessalonica, and they were known as the Thessalonians. Paul planted the church here, and now Paul is going to write a letter from his heart. And boy, you can hear his pastoral heart all through 1 Thessalonians as well as 2 Thessalonians. Two letters written to a congregation, written to a church that Paul had planted. Notice with me verse number 1. Paul names his small team at the time, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. I want to point out, first of all, that word church is so important. The word church literally means called out ones. We're going to see that in verse number four. To be a part of the church is something that is incredibly special. And I hope that no matter what experiences you and I ever have in the church of Jesus Christ, that we never lose the wonder, that we never lose the thrill, that we never lose the excitement of being part of God's people. You may have been in a church in the past where a pastor let you down. Or maybe had a moral failure. You may have been part of a church that was filled with backbiting and filled with gossip and had all kinds of divisions within it. You may have been part of a church that was inward and never looked outward. It may have been quite dysfunctional. It may have been filled with a lot of problems. You may be someone today that you're looking for a perfect church. I assure you, you'll never find a perfect church. And it was that great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said in the late 1800s, should you ever find a perfect church, please don't join it because you'll mess it up. (laughs) So true. While there is no perfect church, 
we can be an immensely healthy church. Amen. And if you consider Preaching Christ Church your home, if you consider me your pastor, I will be the very first to tell you we absolutely are not a perfect church, but we are immensely healthy. We check our vitals constantly. And while there are gaps the size of the Grand Canyon, in my view, while we have our issues like every other church has their issues, and while we don't always get everything right, I tell you this, from the top down, from our leaders down, we are healthy through and through. Why? Because of chapters like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's study it together. So Paul is going to address the church of Thessalonica. He's going to remind them they are a church. They are called out people. And then look what he says that he values this church at. He says, grace to you and peace. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, remember Paul founded this church. Today at 2 o'clock, we have a finance meeting. We have many, many meetings throughout this church. Many layers of leadership and a great deal of my time is spent in meetings. We have lots of meetings because God's moving us forward and they're necessary. But let me tell you what Paul didn't say. Paul did not write to this precious congregation and Paul didn't say, how's your budget doing? Where are you on the year? What percentage of growth are you seeing? How's your music department coming? What's your kids' ministry looking like at the moment? Notice that Paul did not measure this church by any of the measurements that we so often have for a church. You notice what Paul values. Paul says, grace to you and peace. Are those the things that we value in this church? Are those the things that money cannot buy that we need the Lord to give to us? Do you so value the grace of God that you literally cannot live without it? Do you so value peace with God, peace from God, and peace with everyone else and all others? Peace in your marriage, peace in your home, peace with your children, peace with your grandchildren, Peace on your job? Do you so value the things that Paul valued? Grace and peace? Hmm. You know, I love this time of year because not only am I looking toward next year, and not an odd thing for a blind pastor to say, but you know, you don't have to have eyesight to have vision. Amen. And even though I'm looking into next year, I love this time of year because it's a time to reflect. It's a time to look back. It's a time to say, what, what has God done for me? What have I done for the Lord? What has he brought into my life? What have I valued this year? What have I pursued this year? What have I desired this year? What have I given my time and my attention to? Would grace, would peace make your list? 
Notice verse 2. This is quite extraordinary to me. Paul wants to tell this congregation that he thanks God for all of them. And he says, always mentioning you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I want you to note this. Paul did not write to them about budgets. He didn't write to them about success. He didn't write to them about growth. And he certainly didn't thank the Lord in verse 2. He didn't thank the Lord for experiences or events or ministry experiences. Do you know what Paul thanked God for? For people. Wow. I'm asking the Lord. I have a prayer for next year that I'm asking the Lord. I'm asking the Lord to help me and allow me to make the greatest deposit I've ever made into the lives of people next year. When I look back over the year, I don't want to just say, oh, we had this event, or oh, we had this experience, or oh, we had this opportunity, or we had this gain, or we had this. No, I want to be able to look back and see people that have matured in the Lord, people that we have helped, people that we've seen come to faith, people who've been baptized, people who are becoming disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul didn't thank the Lord for preaching opportunities. He didn't thank the Lord for Bible studies. He didn't thank the Lord for things of ministry or even good things like that. He didn't thank the Lord for his missionary journeys. Paul thanked God for people. You know, listen to me. You can love the Lord today, but do you love God's people? I can love to preach, but do I love the people I'm preaching to? That's what God wants to know from us. Do you value people the way God would have you value people? Do you value your coworkers? Do you value your family? Do you value your friends? Do you value the people you're, you, you, you go to church with? Do you value the people who God has put in your life? Or do you nitpick and do you find negativity and do you find faults and blames? That wasn't the heart of Paul. No, Paul, Paul shows them how much he loves them. You know, when you look around at our church today, when you look at everything that the Lord has done for us and given us, and you examine everything. You know, once in a while, we'll have to do an insurance uh, audit, right? We'll have, to get, we'll have to make sure we have enough liability coverage, but we got to make sure we have content coverage, Right? They say the way to know if you have enough content coverage is imagine you take your building, flip it upside down, and shake it. Whatever falls out is what you need insured. (laughs) So imagine you did that with your home. You flipped it upside down, you shook it, and whatever falls, that's what you need to insure. Out of everything in here, do you realize that people are the only thing that is of eternal value? Nothing in this church will ever go to heaven with us. We will not take anything into eternity out of this church other than the souls of people. It ought to be our chief love in ministry is to love people. Then in verse 3, look what he says. Remembering before our God and Father. Now here are the vital signs. Look what he says. Remembering your work of faith, your labor of love, 
and your steadfastness of hope. How amazing is that? Remembering your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Those are the three vital signs of a believer. He mentions the same list in 1 Corinthians 13, but in a different order. But nonetheless, you have faith, love, and hope. Those are the three vital signs that we have as Christians. Now, how do we measure them? How do we get our fingers on the pulse of them? How do we know that we're growing? How do we know that we're healthy in these three vital areas? Well, number one, a work of faith. What is a work of faith? If you're taking notes today, I want us to be crystal clear in what works of faith truly means. When Paul writes here in 1 Thessalonians 1, work of faith, I want you to understand it is not in any way a contrast or contrary to what he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For you are not saved by works. You are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. We know that you cannot be saved by good works. No one can enter heaven through works. So what does Paul mean when he says works of faith? Let's define it this way. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to note this. You are not saved because of works, but rather because you are saved, there should be works in your life. You're not saved because of works, but you are saved to do good works. The Bible teaches in the New Testament that we ought to be zealous over good works. The Bible teaches that we ought to be rich in good works. The Bible teaches that we were created in Christ for good works. The Bible teaches that we ought to abound in good works. The Bible teaches in Matthew 5 that we can glorify God with our good works. So you have to understand, you are not saved from good works. But listen, true saving faith, true repentant, born again, saving salvation faith is a faith that works. In other words, your faith ought to be producing good works out of your life. Your salvation should be producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Your salvation ought to be producing spiritual fruit for the glory of God. Do you have a faith that works? The question is this, is your faith a noun or is your faith a verb? Because you realize true faith is always a verb. Faith is action. And I'm going to show you how the Thessalonians put their faith into action. And it's exactly how you and I can put our faith into action as well. Does your faith work? Is there a labor to your faith? Are there good works about your life? Is there a sharp focus toward the things of God? Number two. A labor of love. I particularly love this word labor. You know, so many people have a mindset that when they get saved, pastors do all the work. You know, people, quote unquote, called to ministry, do all the work. No, my friends, do you realize we are all that are born again? We are part of the church. We're all called out. 
We are all to be engaged in the kingdom of God. We are all to be engaged in the great work of God. Wherever it is that you are employed, there's a work for you to do for God there. Whatever neighborhood that God has planted you in, there's a work for you to do for the Lord there. No matter what stage of life you're in or what season of life you're in, God has a work for you to do. And do you know what God expects out of our work? Not when it's convenient. Not when we have more money or when we have more time or when things get easier in our life. No. Do you know what God expects? A labor of love. And you know what the Greek word, I believe it's pronounced kopos here. You know what the Greek word for labor actually means? It means to work, to toil, to the point of exhaustion. Now, when you look at what you do for the Lord, is it to the point of exhaustion? Can measure your vitals today is what I do for the Lord to the point of exhaustion. Hmm. Thirdly, a steadfastness of hope. Now, hope in the Bible always refers to the future. Why? Because you don't hope for something you already possess. You don't hope for something you already have. Hope always refers to the future. And what is this steadfastness of hope? It is the hope, the confident expectation of the coming of the Lord. I'm going to tie this in a moment to verse number 10. And we're going to see how the waiting for the coming of the Lord, the expectation that Christ will come at any moment, how that builds steadfastness in us. That steadfastness causes us to not back down. It causes us to not quit. It causes us not to throw in the towel. It causes us to keep going in the name of the Lord, the steadfast hope. Now, Paul's going to change gears just a bit. And in verse 4, I want you to look at what he says. This is such a beautiful verse. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What a wonderful scripture. I realize that in this room today, and certainly many watching online, I realize there are many listening who you never felt loved in life. Your parents weren't the best parents. Your parents didn't show you the love that they should have. I realize that many of you grew up in really hard and really hurtful home environments. Many people share their stories with me. They sit down and share with me what their childhood was like. And you would be so surprised at how many people grew up never feeling loved. Many of you have made very wrong choices in the past, but you made those choices because you didn't feel loved. Many of you married people, ultimately because all you wanted was to feel loved. 
And now you fast forward many years later, you fast forward and after other relationships and after maybe even other changes, uh, family changes or career changes or even out of state changes, whatever the case, here even today you don't fully feel loved. My friends, verse 4 is such a special verse for you. Verse 4 says, you are loved by God. And you're chosen by God. So if you're someone that from your childhood on, you've never truly felt loved, you should hide this verse in your heart. You should recite this verse to memory. And you should tell yourself every day, I believe the truth of God's word. And God's word says, I am loved by God. And you want God to prove it? He chose you. You're not only loved by God, you're chosen by God. And I love that Paul adds this verse because just in case, let's just say that we began to excel in our works of faith. Let's say we really grow in our labors of love. Let's say we really excel in the steadfastness of hope. And just in case our chest begins to puff out a little bit. In case we begin to grow arrogant or prideful. You know what the Lord would remind us of? No, no, no. These things are not of you. You were loved by God and you were chosen by God. You know, over the years I've tried to change some of my church vocabulary. I've been guilty at times of saying something to the degree of, Well, I found the Lord. What a foolish statement that is to say I found the Lord. You realize that you and I were so lost and undone in sin, you and I could have never found the Lord. We were the sheep. We were the lost sheep that the Lord left the 90 and 9 to go find. Amen? He came and he found us. Your salvation is not a result of you. You were not smart enough. You certainly were not spiritual enough. And you certainly were not lucky enough. No, God loved you before the foundations of the world were ever laid. God had you in his heart. God had you in his mind before the foundations of the world were ever even laid. And so the next time Satan comes to you and says, oh, you're unlovable. Oh, you've messed up too bad. Your past is too bad. You've made too many sins. You've blown it too many times. No, you take the devil right here to verse four and say before the foundations of the world were ever laid, before the galaxies were ever even formed, I was in the heart of God and God set his love upon me and don't you dare let Satan lie to you and don't let him tell you that you're not accepted by God the Bible says you're accepted in the beloved in the beloved why because he loves you with an everlasting love and people's love for you will change but God's love for you will never change. Amen. Now, how did we accept such a great salvation? This salvation that has come to us and now we're loved by God and we're chosen by God. Well, how did it come into our life? Look what Paul says. For our gospel came to you not only in word 
only, not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. Amen. That's how the gospel came into our life. And let me tell you, my friends, what do we need in this hour today? What do we need in this culture today, in society today? We need more of the power of God. We need more of the Holy Spirit. And we certainly need more full conviction. That's what the church needs today. These are markings of a true church. And notice again, as important as all of our programs are, as important as all of the organization is, notice Paul never said kids church. He never said coffee bar. He never said safety ministry. He never said worship band. He never said polished preaching. Even though all those things matter, do you know what matters more? The power of God. Do you know what matters more? The Holy Spirit. What matters more is full conviction. What's the markings of this church? When people walk in here or when people listen to what we are projecting out, well, what marks us? Does the power of God mark this place? Does the Holy Spirit mark us? Does full conviction mark us? time to check our pulse. Notice what verse am I in, please? Six. How did such conviction come? How did such power and Holy Spirit come into their lives? Watch what he says. Verse number six. For you received the word. Oh, I love it. You received the word with much affliction and the joy of the Holy Spirit. James 1, 20 and 21 says, we ought to receive the word, the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Do you know what the word receive there, the word picture is for the word receive in the Greek? It literally means to place out a welcome mat. Oh, isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that quite a, a way to view the word of God? To say, biblically, to say that you received the word literally means to place a welcome mat over your heart and say, oh God, your word is so welcomed into my heart. Is scripture welcomed in you? Is conviction welcomed in you? Is God's corrections welcomed in you? Is his encouragement welcomed in you? Is his truth welcomed in you? I know it's very cold today and we're a little more quiet than normal, but just say amen if you're with me. Okay, I'll take it. All right. It's quiet. It's cold and it's a little quiet, but listen now, think with me for a moment. Is all that God says welcomed in you? Because listen, some of you don't feel loved, but yet God says you are loved. Is that truth welcomed in you? Some of you don't feel worthy, but yet God's word says he has qualified you, Colossians 1. He's made you worthy. Is that welcomed in you? 
Some of you today don't feel like your sins are forgiven, but yet God says he has forgiven all of your sins. Is that welcomed in you? I want all of God's word to be welcomed in me, not just the conviction part, not just the correction part, but also the encouragement part, and also the promises of God. For some of you today, there are many promises on the table for you, but you've not received them. Why? Why? Receive God's word. Make God's word welcomed in your life. So how did salvation come to them? Through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, through full conviction. And how did they obtain it? By receiving the word with much affliction in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse number 7. Watch what happens once you receive this great word. Watch what happens when salvation becomes active in your life. All of a sudden, you're born again. All of a sudden, your heart begins to beat with the heart of God. All of a sudden, there's breath in your lungs from the very spirit of God. And all of a sudden, you're a brand new creation. Old things have passed away and everything's become new. And now you're born again. And now there's a new pulse. Now there's a new oxygen level. Now there's a new temperature. Now there are brand new vital signs to your spiritual life. How do you grow? Well, look what he says in verse number seven. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. I love that phrase so much. You became imitators of us and the Lord. Because how do you learn? Do you know how you learn in life? By imitating. Right now we're in such a fun stage of our life. My children, my little girls are nine and seven. They are 22 months apart, Piper and Emmy. My boys, there's four years between my boys and my girls. My two girls are 22 months apart, and my two boys are only 18 months apart. And right now, Hudson's about three and a half, and John Mark's two. We call Hudson Pete, and John Mark repeat. Because everything Hudson does, Jay repeats it. And we call John Mark everything. We call him Jay. We call him Jay Bird. We call him, uh, we call him all kinds of stuff. But everything that his older brother, if, if you want to know where, where, where Hudson is, just look for John Mark because he's just a few steps behind him, right? And he tries to do everything his older brother does. And he tries to repeat and he tries to imitate because why? What is he doing? He's learning, right? So it is spiritually. Do you realize that we repeat, we imitate what we're around? Do you know that? This morning, I was so privileged, we had Pastor Doug Tweed here at the 9 a.m. service. He just popped in unannounced and came to worship the Lord with us. And it was very special to me because Doug is one of my mentors and I look up to him so much. Doug and his precious wife, Christy, who passed away in September. Doug and Christy have prayed Many, many, many times over me. And I've listened to the way they pray. 
I have learned more how to pray by watching Doug and Christy Tweed than anyone else in my life. Who you are around, what you listen to, who you're looking up to, that's who influences you. That is who you will imitate. And I don't care what stage of life you're in. I don't care what season of life you're in. You're being influenced by somebody. You are imitating somebody. And you need to be careful who you are the closest around because you will imitate them. You will. And so some of you can't understand why you're so negative all the time. It might be because you're around people that are negative all the time. For those of you who are married, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, those of you who are married. Who are the most godly marriages you know? Can you name five? Can you name three? Can you name one? Who do you spend a great deal of time with? Because who you're around and who you're watching is who you're going to imitate. It's how we learn. And you don't outgrow that. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You're not going to outgrow that. You're going to imitate what you're around. So make sure that your greatest influences are godly. Make sure that the people you look up to the most are godly people. Now, in my view, Doug Tweed is a spiritual giant. I didn't say all this at the 9 a.m. service. I wouldn't have embarrassed him. But since he's not here for the 11, I assume he's not here. (laughs) I'll talk about him. In my view, Doug is a spiritual giant. He's leaps and he's far leaps and bounds above where I am. But I want to be just like John Mark. I want to be a few steps behind him. Trying to pray the way he prays. Trying to do the things he does. Why? Because his faith is worth imitating. You see what I'm saying? Who are you around? What marriages are you around? Who speaks into your life? Who influences you? Take inventory of it. And if you're someone today that you don't have many godly friendships, you don't have many godly people that you hang around, you need to ask the Lord to send some godly people into your life. And you need to do more than just ask the Lord. You need to do what the Bible says. If you're going to have friends, one must show himself what? Friendly. You know, we don't think, you know, I ought to do a sermon series one day on the verbs of Christianity, shouldn't I? The actions of Christianity. And we don't think sometimes, if I'm going to have godly friends, then I got to get myself around godly people. I got to start hanging out around godly people. I might have to take the initiative. I might have to ask someone to lunch. I might have to have somebody over to my house. I might have to ask if I can sit beside somebody at church. I, I may have to put myself out there and I may have to begin to get involved in somebody else's life. It is action, right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Find 
It's action, right? And so often we don't think about the actions that God expects us to take. So they imitate Paul. They imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And now they're learning by imitation. Now, what's the next step? Verse number 8. Look at this. Or verse 7. I think I'm in verse What verse am I in? An example. What verse is an example? 7. I'm in 7. We'll get to 8 in a second. Now watch the growth here. Once you begin imitating and you begin learning, you begin growing, now look what happens to this church. Now you've been set as an example before all believers. Now look how fascinating this is. An example to believers. You went from imitating to leading. You went from learning the ropes to now you're leading. That's the growth God wants you to have as a Christian. That's the kind of exponential growth you can have spiritually. And they became an example for all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Throughout that entire large region, they became examples. You know what one of my greatest desires for preaching Christ church is? Not that we would one day build a gigantic auditorium. I don't dream of those things. Not that every single seat would be filled. I don't dream of that. Those things don't impress a blind pastor anymore. You know what my dream is? That we be in a, a model church, an example. An example. And let me tell you something, church. When you do the things that you do, like bless the blue. When you do the things you're doing, like smile foster kids. When you do the things that you're doing like Bibles for Pakistan, Bibles for Bangladesh, church planting in Cairo, Egypt, do you know what you're doing? You're becoming an example. Now, verse number eight, how were they an example? Look what Paul says. For you have sounded forth the word. What does that mean? Remember, in verse 5, they received the word. Now, verse 6, they're imitating the word. Now, verse 8, they're leading an example of the word. And what are they doing in verse 8? They are spreading. They are sounding forth. In the Greek, the literal word picture is blowing trumpets. Isn't that beautiful? Blowing trumpets to the glory of God. They're taking the gospel and they are heralding it. They are proclaiming it all over the world. Because look what he says. You're sounding forth the word. Not just in Macedonia and Achaia. But throughout the world. So that everywhere we go. People know of your faith. Friends, do you realize that we can be a Thessalonian church? In my humble opinion, I believe in many ways we are a Thessalonian church. For we are sounding trumpets to the glory of God everywhere that we can. Do you do that in your personal life? Do you do that as a family? Because let me show you verse 9. 
Look at the last phrase of verse 9. Paul's thankful for the reception they had, but look at verse 9. Watch this. How you turned... Listen, he goes from world evangelism to your faith is so strong, the vital signs are so strong that what you're doing is you're sounding forth the word all over the world. You've received the word, now you're sounding forth the word to now right back at home to their personal stories. And look what he says. How you turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Amen. It goes back to your story. It goes back to what the gospel's done for you. You may not have the calling or you may not have even the the gift to stand up publicly and proclaim the word. But listen, you can do it to all the influences around your life. You can tell everyone in your life about what Jesus has done in you. But see, my question is, has Jesus truly done a great work in you? Has he truly saved you? Are you authentically born again because of the power of God, because of the Holy Spirit, because of full conviction? Or are you just religious? Could it be that you're not sharing a Jesus that you don't really have? Examine ourselves today. Let us examine ourselves to see if we're truly of the faith. So he says, you've turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Now verse 10, and this may be my favorite verse of the whole chapter. Waiting for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. Do you remember what the vitals are? A work of faith. What did we say? It's not working for salvation. It's because of salvation there are works. A labor of love. Working, toiling, laboring to the point of exhaustion. How many of you know it's pretty exhausting to love people sometimes, right? Can you say amen to that? Some of you are like, my husband, tell me all about it. No. <laughs> but seriously, you go to love people and they burn you. You go to help people and they're not grateful. You think you're really showing someone love and then they just stomp on it and walk out of your life. It's exhausting to love people. It's, I heard a pastor's wife say one time, and it was so tragic, but a pastor's wife said one time, I would love ministry if it wasn't for people. Well, then you need to get out of ministry. Because, what did we say? People are the only thing we're going to take to heaven with us. Nothing else. The labor of love, the work of faith, but what, what's the third? The steadfastness of hope. What is that? That's the blessed coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now, verse 10, Paul says, you're doing all this great work. You're sounding forth the word. You've received the word. You're chosen by God. You're loved by God. You have all these amazing things happening in your life. But here's what we're doing. We're going to wait for the coming of Christ. It is a steadfastness. What does it bring into your life? It brings endurance. And today, if you're at a point you're about to quit, today, if you're at a point that you're discouraged, you're distressed, you're tired, you're worn out, I want to remind you, friend, Christ is coming soon. I want to remind you of that. Waiting for his son from heaven, whom... Who was raised from the dead? See, that's the power of the gospel. You can't leave that out. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know what that tells me, church? That tells me that I ought to live the most fearless life for Jesus Christ. I try to be so transparent with you about what it was like to go blind a couple of years ago. Before going blind, as I was rapidly losing eyesight and my eyesight was deteriorating, I thought it was the scariest thing that I would ever face in my entire life. I would shut my eyes and try to walk around the house and I would say, God, I can't do this. The worship team would be playing on Sunday morning And everything would be blurry to me. I was already blind here, but everything here was beginning to decrease. And I would shut my eyes and try to worship. And I would say, God, I can't. I thought it would be the scariest thing that I would ever face in my entire life. And now, after being blind for two years now, there's nothing to be afraid of at all. Well, half-open doors, those do scare me a little bit. <laughs> and brick walls. But, and curbs. Curbs, I hate those. <laughs> the Lord is teaching me, present tense, how to not fear anything. The Lord would teach you too. Why should there be no fear? Because there's no wrath to come. Christ has delivered us from the wrath to come. Then why would we not live complete, abandoned, all out, white, hot zeal for the gospel that so saved us? Why would we hold back anything From a Jesus who saved us. From a God who loved us before the foundations of the world were ever even laid. Why would you withhold any talent? Why would you withhold any portion of your heart? Why would you withhold any part of your lifestyle? Why would you withhold any of your finances? Why would you withhold any of your mental ability, any of your physical energy, any of your skill set? Why would you withhold anything 
from a God who loves you with everything. There's no wrath to come because of Jesus. So live radical, abandoned, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying lives to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for these vital signs that we can measure ourselves with. I want to thank you, God, that you show us how to be healthy. And I don't want to just be healthy. I want to grow in health. It's easier to maintain health than to try to regain it. And I want to be healthy in every way, but especially spiritually. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what are you withholding today? How foolish it seems when you think of how fiercely God loves you. How foolish it is when you think how God has chosen you to keep anything at all from Him. I believe God's speaking to somebody right now and I'm going to obey the Holy Spirit. I believe God's telling somebody right now you're giving your best years to the world and God's calling you. Give your best years to God. Give your best years to God. Holy Spirit, may you take that word and seal it in the name of the Lord. What's this year been like for you? Are there works of faith? Are there labors of love? Is there a steadfastness of hope? Examine yourself right now. Say, Jesus, work in me. And you know, you might say, Chad, what if I'm not healthy as I want to be? What, what do I do, Chad, if I'm not healthy? Then take the prescription. In, listen, ingest the remedy. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God take the word of God just like medication and ingest it ingest it into your soul ingest it into your life that's the remedy that's the medication and before long you'll be healthy God, may this coming year be the healthiest year any of us have ever known. May it be the healthiest year for this church. God, I've asked you many times, and I'm asking again, may next year, may we baptize more people in 2021 than in 
all of our years combined. In Jesus' name. Do a great work through us. Help us to receive the word. Help us to herald the word. And we have those opportunities through Bibles for Bangladesh. Those opportunities are there for Bibles for Pakistan, for church planting in Cairo, for smile foster kids right here at home, for bless the blue, for hope haven, homeless shelter right here, right here. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor today in the name of Jesus Christ.